Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brother, I am an unworthy apprentice. I'm not like you. I never was. <laughs> Remember, the first and only reality of the Sith. There can only be two. And you are no longer my apprentice. You have been replaced. to a special episode of Full of Sith. I am the Mike Pilot, and with me, my co-host, Brian Young, is about to tell you what we are going to listen to today. We're going to listen to a panel full of experts, and when I say experts, I don't even mean that lightly or jokingly, like these are the experts in the field, about how Clone Wars changed Star Wars, and the only way we could have had more experts on the panel is if Dave Filoni was on. Yeah, that would have been cool. That would have been really cool, but this was a really, really fun panel. Uh, just... To give you a heads up of who you're going to hear for, it's like the full, full of Sith panel. So, Mike, uh, you you yeah. were on this panel. Yeah. Amy's on this panel. Yep. I'm on it. Mm-hmm. But it's also Matt Martin and Pablo Hidalgo, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Christy Golden again from Dark Disciple. Yeah. So, uh, can I just can I just say briefly, like this was the one moment of the weekend. And when you say a panel of experts, I believe a panel of experts and Mike Pilot because I'm oh looking, uh, no you. no seriously no seriously let let me just say this. This was the one point of the weekend. I don't ever, I don't ever like, um, get like weird, weird, like stuff like that, but I get there and I see Pablo and Matt and it's great to see them. And I see, uh, Christy golden and we're, we get up there and I'm just looking around at this. This is a super panel. This is, I've always wanted to, I always wanted to have a panel with Matt and Pablo. And, um, and then I see that Christy Golden's there. We just did a panel with her like a couple hours previously, and she was great. And it was finally nice to meet her because Dark Disciple was pretty damn awesome. And yeah. uh, and it was Amy and you, and it was it was a dream come true. It really was. And, and like I said, allow me to geek out for a second here. This was like one of those moments that I just will never forget. This was a that perfect 50-some minutes of Star Wars for me, and I had a really good time, and I appreciated being there. And thank you for everybody for participating in it. I Loved it. I'm so glad that you were able to make it out to Salt Lake for this. Yeah, it was really like I got there Friday night, like seven o'clock, and then um, I left Sunday morning, like eleven. Actually, me and Pablo shared the uh, the, the Salt Lake Comic Con people. You know, they take you back to the airport when you're going leaving. We uh-huh. actually had the same ride back to the airport, so it was nice. You know, share a quiet ride back to the airport with Pablo and say, you know, safe travels. You just stared at him, and you were like, Are, "Is he going to drop a spoiler?" 
well, no, I just didn't want to be that guy. Like, it's early in the morning, and it's like... But he knows who you are. It's yeah, not like but you don't like, know each other. Yeah, but you don't want to be that, you know, you have tired morning voice, and you just you just want to get to the airport and get on your plane. You don't want somebody bugging you about Star Wars or any of that stuff. So it's like, hey, just quietly, you know, hey. And then you get to the airport, and that's kind of a private thing, you know, taking your shoes off and your belt and going through security. So it's like, you know, have a good one. Safe travels. See you later. Pablo was tweeting like he was in security, the security line with Bomke Janssen, too. Was he? I guess so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I got to interview Bomke Janssen. I know you did. How, and that was pretty awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I sent you the audio. You can listen to it. Not everybody else can listen to it, but you can. I'm going to listen to it. Uh, she, she told me that she needed me and that I was wonderful. Oh, my God. That must have been a moment. No, right? It was it was a moment. That is anyway, a moment. anyway, so. how did the Clone Wars change Star Wars? Yeah, let's listen to it. So, welcome to uh, how the Clone Wars changed Star Wars. I'll be moderating this. My name is Brian Young. I co-host a Star Wars podcast called Full of Sith, and I write. Uh, you can find my writings on StarWars.com every Monday. And uh, I occasionally get stuff into Star Wars Insider, and uh, I really like Star Wars. So I'll have the panel introduce themselves, and we'll start here on my left. Hi, I'm Pablo Hidalgo. I'm from the Lucasfilm Story Group. I'm a creative executive there, and I've been a part of Lucasfilm for oh, coming on 16 years now. Hey, Pablo. Uh, I'm Matt Martin, also on the Lucasfilm Story Group, also creative executive, and I've been there for, I think, nine years next week. Yeah, right? I do, too. How do you follow that up? I'm Mike Pilot. I do Full of Sith with Brian and Amy. I am a long-time, thank you, long-time Star Wars fan and collector and um, oh, long-time podcaster, 10 years. Amy? Uh, I'm Amy Ratcliffe. I'm a journalist. I write for StarWars.com and Nerdist.com and Star Wars Insider and co-host Full of Sith and Lattes with Leia. I like, yeah, I like Star Wars a little. (laughs) I'm Christy Golden. I wrote three books in the Fate of the Jedi series along with Aaron Alston and Troy Denning and also Dark Disciple, which is set uh, in the Clone Wars era. So with uh, the Clone Wars, one of the things that that people sort of started to understand about it after it started coming out was that it was adding sort of shading and meaning to things that we already knew or thought we already knew, and it added things that were completely unknown. And I think probably one of the biggest revelations that Clone Wars made right out of the gates was that Anakin Skywalker had a Padawan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm wondering how just that very idea sort of changed Star Wars, if any of you want to jump in and, and kind of expound on that. Um, I, I guess I, to start off with, when Dave Filoni was first hired on to, to do the show, you got to remember, this was like in 2005, and George had been saying that he was retiring. He's been saying this since 1983, mind you, but... <laughs> In 2005, he's saying, yeah, I'm finally going to retire. I'm going to kick off some TV shows. I might get them started, but I don't think I'm actually going to work on them. But, you know, we're, we're going to do Clone Wars. We're going to do something else. But I'm just going to get them started and then step away. So when Dave started, he didn't know to what extent 
George was going to be involved. And so he had a version of what the Clone Wars might be. And he would never think to do something as crazy as give Anakin a Padawan because that would be touching one of George's characters. In fact, he didn't think Anakin and Obi-Wan were going to be in the series in any real way. Surprise, surprise, George surprised all of them by, by really leaning into the making of Clone Wars. And he said, no, 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 it's going to be about Anakin. It's going to be about Obi-Wan. And, and by the way, Anakin's got a 16-year-old apprentice. So for the rest of you, how did that, how did that affect your viewing of Revenge of the Sith? Like, how did a, Ahsoka's existence and her story change Star Wars for you? It, it makes it a lot more tragic. Like, the more people that you see kind of connected to Anakin that he had really good, solid relationships with the more sad it is to see those final choices that he ended up making. It was late for me because the Clone Wars was not my point of entry into Star Wars. It was what made me the Star Wars fan I am today. It made me go back. I'd only seen the Star Wars films once previously in the Clone Wars all the way through, and it made me go back and dive into that universe more. So once I watched a little bit of the Clone Wars first and started going back and rewatching the prequels and the original trilogy, it added so much... We said tragedy, for sure, and a little more depth to Anakin and a lot more meaning to what happened for me at the end of Return of the Jedi. I I think it adds so much to to the prequels and and the original trilogy. And and to add kind of what Amy said, I I wasn't on board with Clone Wars right away. And, And this panel, how did the Clone Wars change Star Wars? How did the Clone Wars change my Star Wars? I... My daughter's 10 now, and she's the one that watched The Clone Wars, and she brought me into it. One day she sat down and said, Daddy, you got to sit down and watch this with me. And finally I did, and it was the beginning of season four with Darth Maul. And how do you watch that and not be sold on it and go back and watch all the other episodes? And, and then you're hooked, and it changed Star Wars for me completely. And then we go along with the rest of that series. And, and yeah, it makes everything with Anakin more tragic. It makes the failures of the Jedi more apparent. It makes the, the, the Sith, it makes the Emperor, his rise, even more, like, wow. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Clone Wars had the chance to go in, in very deep into the whole situation of the clones. And on another panel earlier today, I said that the whole story of the clones themselves is some of the most tragic, beautiful, almost Shakespearean disaster that you see coming that you can't avert. And uh, some beautiful work in there. And I really, really grew to like Anakin. In this, and I kept hoping as we kept marching forward. You know, you just you keep hoping, you know, against hope that that something might change. And um, Ahsoka was a huge part of that. She was just so warm and such a wonderful, likable character. And he he was good to her. He was a good teacher. And to watch all that crumble, and then her sense of betrayal at the, the hands of the Jedi, all of that was so poignant. And uh, I I think uh, a lot of people even now still don't know about this series and that makes me sad because this this is some of the great highlights in Star Wars history I think. So Christy you bring up the clones and I think that they the Clone Wars offered like a, a life into the a window into the life of clones but uh, Boba Fett also and the idea that he kind of has to struggle with the fact that the largest military force in the galaxy all has the face of his father um, so I'm wondering if you guys can talk about maybe some of the the way humanizing the clones worked and how that, that felt 
as you watch them betray everyone in Revenge of the Sith. That actually reminds me of a story uh, during the making of the, the season two finale where we introduced Boba Fett into the series and Fett sneaks onto the Endurance Mace Windu's flagship as, by pretending to be just another cadet. There was a sequence in there where he basically tricks a clone trooper out of his blaster and ends up stunning him. The sequence was originally staged where it wasn't just the stun effect. Uh, Boba would have actually killed that clone. And before he pulled the trigger, the helmet was supposed to fall off and he was supposed to see the face of that clone. Um, That series of episodes was already pretty heavy as it was. (laughs) So it was probably for the best that they did not go in that direction. But, you know, it was definitely a a factor that loomed over any time we leaned into Fett and the, the Django heritage. What's really interesting about the clones, I think, is that when you see the Star Wars films, there's so many characters that are like larger than life, not quite superheroes, but they have that, that feeling. And the clones are actually, I think, kind of some of the most human characters in Star Wars. And they're the most relatable, and you really understand where they're coming from, even though they have such a, a strange and bizarre background to them. That's an interesting switch from the stormtroopers who are individuals that don't have that individuality the way the clones do. Exactly. Yeah, the, the clones have really individual personalities. They're certainly themselves, and, and we get to see that a lot in the episodes with just them. Yeah. What I really like, besides seeing the clones become their own, uh, just seeing them as individuals, and, I mean, God bless D. Bradley Baker for being, I mean, he did such tremendous yes. work in making them all so unique. Um, but I liked also looking at what using what because they essentially did use them. Though I think a lot of the, the clones and Jedi became friends uh, and less. But they're, they're essentially sending them. They're kind of battle fodder at points. So it's interesting to watch that failing of the Jedi and how they interact with the clones. In some ways, I don't want to say it's ultimately right that the clones betray them because that's not okay. That's actually pretty terrible. But you know, it's like a it's just an interesting dynamic that they explored in that series. Well, you have battle droids that are replaceable. I mean, and you have clones that are life, and they can they'll go out and they just get killed as easily as the battle droids. And really, I mean, they're not they're looked at like they're battle droids, like they don't matter, and they're all alive. So There's sad. actually, a, a, and this is directly from one of the scripts that I, I turned into a novel. Um, there's actually a speech that Count Dooku gives where he says, We only send battle droids in, but our evil enemy sends living beings to their death. And Voss goes, Man's got a point. And I, I love that that was in there because, oh my God, Count Dooku is actually right on this side of this <laughs> equation. So I thought that was, that was a pretty interesting nod to the situation. Um, Christy, I think it would be a shame if we had you and didn't talk about Ventress, which I think is a character that really added a lot to Clone Wars and sort of had a really fascinating arc that kind of uh, adds an undertone to to the rest of the, the Star Wars mythos. And I'm wondering if you, you could start talking about that. And Pablo, like, if there's any in- insight about Ventress that, that you might have. Sure, I'll, I'll let Christy start. Um, when I was given this task, I knew that... Um, there were so many people out there who really, really deeply connected to Asajj Ventress, and she was such a, a pivotal character throughout the series. And um, I really knew that I had, to, I had to get this right, so there was a little bit of pressure going in on that. Um, I really enjoyed her because she seemed to finally, after so much, we saw her being almost cartoonishly evil at the very beginning. And then she grows, and then she's betrayed 
and because the Sith always betray, don't they? And then she finds her sisters in this, this place, and we just watched her. I'm getting goosebumps. She, it's just such a remarkably well-developed, nuanced character. And then to, to bring her through this was a, a real privilege. And I wanted to make sure I captured that. I wanted to make sure that I had a woman who had suffered so much, but who was still strong, who wasn't broken, who still had a bit of a sense of humor about it. And she walked that line, that narrow, narrow place between the dark side and the light that I don't think, you know, and someone I'm sure will correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've ever seen that before. I mean, she actually was doing it. And uh, then to introduce Boss into that was, you know, let's throw the big rocket to the pond. Uh, but she, I really, really admired her, and um, we all, as we worked together with Story Group, we all knew how important it was that this be true to the character. And there was so much depth and resonance to her that it was, once, once I had kind of absorbed her through watching the episodes over and over again, um, I really felt there was so much meat there that I could dive into. Yeah, I think Asajj is a great example of, you know, when you start off with a character, you may have a plan for them in the back of your mind, but you keep as much a blank slate to the audience to the degree that you can then pivot and develop them as need be. So we knew at the very start that Asajj was this, you know, unusual element and that she was this third darksider in the relationship with Sidious and Dooku, uh, which we saw right off the bat from the movie. Like, she wasn't a secret from Sidious. And sure enough, as the series development developed, George said, well, you know, we've got to get rid of her because if the more and more powerful she gets, the more of a threat she's going to be to that two-Sith dynamic. And so it was really season three where that necessity required us to fill out her character in a big way because, you know, it wasn't just that she was going to get betrayed by Dooku. She'd have to have somewhere to go, and that's where we found out her history. And I really have to credit Katie Lucas for taking that character and investing so much into her. Katie has really this kind of punk mentality to her, and she infused uh, Asajj with that punk mentality. I mean, one of Katie's favorite movies is, and favorite characters is Tank Girl. And I, I like to see that, you know, Asajj kind of gets rid of the, the Sith trappings and becomes more of a punk bounty hunter as uh, she has to follow her own path. And I, I think she did a great job at that. So uh, one of the other big things that, and we, I mean, we did a whole other panel about this last night, but I just want to kind of bring up the idea, how much the idea of the prophecy of the Chosen One and the balance of the Force was changed by Clone Wars, and anybody's free to, to jump in on that one. I, just two words, the Mortis trilogy. I mean, there was a lot more, but those three episodes, certainly for me, that was the most I can, it made me consider the Force in the prophecy in a, in a way I hadn't thought about before and in a, in a way that was more meaningful like I could see it's one thing for them to talk about it in the prequels when they touch, touched on it a few times but that brought so much more weight and serious to it for me if that makes sense and it made me realize the stakes of there being a chosen one for the entire galaxy and I think bringing in those, those representations of the light and the dark with the son and the daughter or the daughter and the son I, I, it made me consider the balance of the force in a way I hadn't before. Yeah, I, I think um, the Clone Wars were such a gift from George Lucas because I don't think anyone would be willing to take the risk of trying to delve into force mythology without his backing, right? So it would take someone like George to say, oh yeah, by the way, there's these force gods that live in this realm called Mortis and that embody the balance. I'm like, no one else can get away with pitching something like that. 
likewise, you know, just the notion that there's these five priestesses that represent the aspects of personality that even predate the mortis gods that live in some realm of a seed planet that sends the living force throughout the center of the galaxy. I'm like, what? (laughs) But, you know, the fact that he diversified the language of the force, he alone was the one who could tell us, yeah, it's not just Jedi and Sith. Jedi and Sith are just the latest flavor of a dynamic that has been going on since the beginning of time. And with that knowledge, that arms us to be a little bit more to be a bit braver when it comes to telling stories about the Force and not shy away from getting to some very nebulous places. Yeah, what I love about those, those episodes is that, both Mortis and the Yoda arc, is that he managed to give us a bunch more information about the Force while still making it even more mysterious, which is always kind of a key to the Force for me because I, I want it to feel mysterious. I don't want it to be explained. I don't want to understand every aspect of it. And when he threw all of that in, it was just like a, another wrench into that cog. Like, I have no idea what's going on anymore. And that's exactly what I want. I, I love that because I'm a mythologist, and I love the, the resonance of that whole thing and the epic size of it all. And I also love the fact that it also means that griffins are now canon. <laughs> I particularly love griffins. So, so it's purely coincidental. And the, the last two shows that we did was one the force and then the dark side of the force. And in these conversations, we've, you know, we came up with that the Clone Wars brought us so much more about the force itself that we would have never have understood or even been led to believe that brought us into the Force Awakens and then anything else we learned from the upcoming movies. And when... We first, when I first watched Star Wars, I just thought that the Force was something cool. I mean, I could move things with my mind, and I could lift stuff and fight cool villains. And with with the Clone Wars, how it changed Star Wars for me is now I had a, a deeper understanding that I don't know anything. And no matter how much I learn, with it be the Mortis trilogy or the, the what is it, the Lost episodes, the Lost Archives, or those last six episodes. Oh, the Lost Missions. Yeah, the Lost Missions. Um, with Yoda on the, the Sith planet. I, mean, I, we don't, I don't know anything, really. Isn't it great? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that sort of leads me to the, those, those episodes you mentioned kind of add some, some shade and meaning to what's going on with Qui-Gon Jinn. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys want to expand on that a little bit? I, I think the more I learn about Qui-Gon, the more that I realize he is the ideal Jedi. Uh, all the prequel Jedi, almost to a one, are flawed. They are, have bought too much into the system, and that is their downfall. And yet Qui-Gon, because of his, 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 you know, his, his, uh, <laughs> his likelihood not to walk the true path means that he's not afraid of being unorthodox. And it's that journey that has brought him to what ends up being the key to immortality, the key to to uh, defeating the dark side for on and on and on, or at least facing the dark side for on and on and I on. I think Jar Jar is kind of the key to that, too. Yeah. I mean, he's the... No! He, just I'm not wait. Go just I'm not wait. Go into the whole, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but, but Qui-Gon is the only person who was, like, nice to Jar Jar to see... Not even because he thought he was going to get anything out of it. And that's not something the rest of the Jedi w- would do. Even mm-hmm. Obi-Wan sort of scoffed at that idea. Yeah. Mace Windu never got that, which is proven by the... the Disappeared. The Disappeared, that two-story arc where 
it's him and Jar Jar in kind of a buddy cop story. But, I love yeah, those episodes. Me too. They're so great. I remember at first, too, I was like, this is what we're getting for the last hand, like clone of Jar Jar and Mason. I'm like, oh, I was wrong. This is fantastic. To uh, prepare the animators for that episode, Dave Filoni had them watch, and now I'm blanking on the name of the movie, but there's a movie with Sam Jackson and Eugene Levy. As, as, uh, on a, Sam's a cop, and, and Levy's either a witness he has to keep alive. And so it's like, you know, a cool cop and a ridiculous guy in an action movie, and it's like, watch that, because that's the Jar Jar Maze dynamic. <laughs> um, I, th- I think the, the, we got actually a lot more into the societies of a lot of different alien creatures in the Clone Wars, uh, whether that's the Gungans or the Moncals or, or any of the other species. Even, even Rodians got a little yeah. bit of, of love or... or King Katunko and the Toydarians. And I'm wondering what Clone Wars helped address maybe some of the, the wrongs people had... I guess the thing is, is once a, an alien species is in a Star Wars movie, you think that every member of that species is that. So how did, how did Clone Wars help rehabilitate that some? Yeah, people jump to the, assume... For years and years, books would tell us that every Rodian was a bounty hunter. It's like, no, no. Clone Wars was happy to show us that some were politicians, some were pawn shop owners, some were just be the worst people on the streets, ever. you know. <laughs> so, you know, it, it did a good job of, of telling you that not every Twi'lek was Bib Fortuna or Ayla Secura. There are shades in between of these types of people. And not every Toydarian was Watto. And I think that was what the beauty of the Clone Wars for me, the reason that pulled me in, is it just enriched so much and showed a bigger picture of the galaxy and more variety and more experiences, just day-to-day experiences people were having on planets like Ryloth. Uh, or seeing where the people, I guess, that we, we saw in the films, where they actually come from and experiencing a little taste of their cultures. I think that was really valuable to expand the, you know, the on-screen presence of Star Wars. I'm, just, I'm remembering another cliche that I think it was cut from the episode. It was the Mon Cala episodes. And there was a sequence where uh, Anakin Skywalker and Kit Fisto are being held prisoner and they're about to be tortured by these electric eels. And originally the scene was going to be like, Anakin goes to Kit, can, can, you, can you talk to them? And, he's like, and Kit Fisto was like, why do you think I could talk to fish? <laughs> it's like, I don't go around assuming you could talk to every cow or, you know, bantha that's out in the world. And that was like, you know, it ended up being cut, but that was the whole, like, you know, the, the comics and other stories would do that with Kit Fisto all the time. He's an underwater Jedi. Surely one of his powers is to talk to fish. It's like, no, he can't talk to fish. <laughs> I think a culture that, not an alien culture, but a culture that really got explored in depth in Clone Wars was the Mandalorians. And I love yeah. the direction that they yeah. went with that. Like, it's so cool to think that, you know, there was this kind of militant culture that then was sort of taken over by pacifists and it makes sense like when you when you're constantly at war eventually people are going to want peace and i just i love the direction they headed with that so uh we'll open up for audience questions if uh i think the they've got a microphone at the back of the room somewhere while it's coming up if you've got that microphone uh i want to ask all of you like how how clone wars changed your view of things like uh, Order 66 is one that I really want to talk about, and I think that would be a great place while they bring up the mic. How did, how did Order 66 change in your view based on what we saw in the Clone Wars? It's so much more brutal now. Yeah. Like it's so depressing when you actually like, 
get to like these clones and then just see that they have really no way of, of stopping things and they have to do something that, you know, five minutes earlier they would definitely have never done. And, and after being able to experience the lives of these clones, it makes it so much worse. It definitely made the, the Kaminoans much more complicit in everything that happened. Before, you, couldn't, you didn't really know if they were in on it. But that arc where you realize that Fives is on the run, and, and Nala Say, the, the head cloner, you realize that she's a terrible person. And, and Lama Sue was in on it, too. Like, they knew what they were doing. But they don't care because they're making money. You know, they, they got a Senate seat out of it. They got all these perks out of arming the Republic. And uh, to them, the clones are just a product. It makes it... I was going to say more, because when I watched Revenge of the Sith before, it was heartbreaking at the end to watch. But now it's heartbreaking to know that the clones were used in that way. These people, and because we'd watched the clones and Jedi work so well together and work to keep each other safe as much as they could, even though that's not always possible in a battle situation. But it's, it just, they got a really, really crappy deal. <laughs> I don't know if the Jedi just wouldn't have been so clouded and maybe a little less arrogant. They had a chance to stop it. They, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think that's one of the things Clone Wars adds more than anything is to show you in a very realistic way how Palpatine turned public opinion against the, the Jedi. Well, how the Jedi, I mean, not just Palpatine, but the Jedi totally did the mo- they effed up about as royally as you can. Yeah. Let's, let's assassinate someone. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, for me, it was like almost, if any of you all have traveled uh, to a foreign country, to, it, was, it was like, oh, I had this idea of what happened in the Clone Wars, but then it was like living there for a year. And what you thought you knew is just the surface, and it might not even be correct. And it was really like being submerged in this place because it was, you know, it ran for so many seasons and there were so many great story arcs. And these characters that were introduced, you know, almost in the very first episode had continued through to the end. So for me, it was really just like being steeped in this other culture and finding out that it was so much richer and sadder and more beautiful than I had ever expected. So you in the back of the question, you want to ask your question and come up to the front. Anybody else who wants to ask questions, come up and line up in the center aisle behind him. You can ask it uh, on your way back. On the way up? Thanks. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the unfortunately cut episodes that had the Bad Batch in them. Yeah, They were fantastic. And the current run of Jason Aaron's Star Wars comics Mm -hmm. seems to have a spiritual sequel to that. Is there anything in the expanded universe uh, in publishing where we're going to get a chance to see the Bad Batch anytime soon? Or rebel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talked to Dave about the Bad Batch, and, and uh, it's we were absolutely absolutely surprised at how popular they were. I mean, there were kids coming up to Dave and us saying how much they loved the episodes, and and being of a production mentality, our first thought is, "Wow, why did we spend all those money finishing episodes when <laughs> clearly you could show unfinished product and find a fan following with it?" You know. Um, Regarding doing more stories with the Bad Batch, you know, doing any stories with incomplete Clone Wars material is something that we're constantly looking at and discussing and trying to find what's best for what story. But that said, if any author wanted to take the Bad Batch and do an original story that we'd never been told before, uh, we're think- we think they're the types of characters that could do it, you know. Um, when Jason did his uh, Scar Squad, um, he actually wasn't consciously referencing the Bad Batch when he started off. 
And when we got the original pitch, we said, you know, you should watch the Bad Batch episode because you're, you're doing this subconsciously. Let's make it a conscious choice. In fact, let's call the, the, your squadron, let's name it after the Bad Batch so we could get a sense that just perhaps in some way one of those Bad Batchers uh, continued the training that he learned to the Imperial Army. Thank you. Next, next question. Okay, this is uh, more of a request than a question, Lily. I'm not sure we do requests. It's, it's important. It's important. So the worst part of the 2008 Clone Wars movie was that uh, I saw Jabba the Hutt with his protocol droid translator, and I was like, oh, he's going to get upset and disintegrate him. And then it didn't happen, and I was really depressed. Um, so I was wondering if you could show Jabba the Hutt disintegrate a protocol droid translator because he gets upset with him. Sure. If you could just get that done. All right. Like, but here's, here's the thing. That protocol droid is not the one that predates immediately C-3PO. Mm-hmm. So that protocol droid may face another threat, but the droid that then gets replaced, we don't know how many droids there are between that protocol droid and the one that 3PO comes to replace. I just need to see one. Get you just need to see one? It doesn't matter which if one? You could, that if you could says a lot about you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you could just make that happen. We could probably set up a date with you in EV99. <laughs> yeah. That'd be good. Thank you. Okay, next. Hello. Hey. So um, I was wondering... Uh, like what would happen? What happened to all the clones? Did they just join the imperial, the imperials, or like, because like in I think it was the Han Solo book thing that Jason Fry wrote. There was a clone trooper, but like, did they all join the army? Some thing? did, some did. Um, the thing about the clones is they were age accelerated, so they're aging at about twice or maybe even more the rate, twice the time that a regular human does. So their fighting fitness is unfortunately rather short-lived, as are themselves. We like, I can imagine a situation where the Clone Wars comes to the end, the Emperor holds some big grand gala proclamation thanking our boys in white for their service. But you know what? We're doing something different now. We are now drawing from the populace to defend the Empire itself. And, you know, we'll have one last big parade, and, and it'll be great. But one of the stories that George was going to explore was that these, this generation was actually abandoned. And we touch a little bit on, on, on rebels in that um, you know, they got replaced by, uh, by people who volunteered. And the ironic part of it is you'll find more uniformity and identical natures in patriotism than you will through genetic cloning. Uh, I thought that was an interesting statement that George was making. But some clones did become trainers, and, um, and we see some of that in the fiction. All right. Uh, one of the things I really like about Quinlan Voss is that he has the ability to read memories from objects people has, have handled. How cool it, would it be if Luke Skywalker could develop that same skill and read C-3PO and R2? <laughs> that would certainly change Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> or if R2 just, you know, finally spilled the beans. <laughs> R2 gets drunk one night. You want to know about your dad, man? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep that high-powered oil away from him. Boop, boop, boop. (laughs) Um, So my question... um, So earlier you were talking about how the Clone Wars really fleshed out the clones and made them individual um, and really made them feel real. Um, My question is kind of like asking, like, comparing that to Rebels, where in Rebels the there's no clones, they're stormtroopers, but they become the droids that were in Clone Wars. They're faceless, they get killed very quickly, and kind of, like, 
I, I guess my question is like exploring that and the morality of that and how it's really taking away these people that we've worked so hard to, these troopers that we've made so hard to make individual and now suddenly making them the droids. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that points out the power that speaks to the terribleness and power of the empires that they don't want, and you guys can correct me, I don't think they want individuals who can think for themselves. They want individuals that will follow orders and get the job done. So they kind of want that more a more brainwashing mentality and I think they probably do treat them like they're disposable uh, like like they're droids. Yeah, the Empire rewards conformity. So, you know, it, the best thing for you as an Imperial Stormtrooper is to be like all the other Imperial Stormtroopers. Well, you know. <laughs> I think it's a little bit easier to, to have a, a comical to, to a droid to say something funny and then get shot rather it be, you know, a, a clone saying something funny and then get shot. It was my day off. (laughs) Yeah. It's, and you know, it's, um, they're not given names. They're not allowed to customize their armor in any way. It's it's something we have to police from time to time. I mean, it it took quite the exception to allow Jason Aaron to do what he was doing because he had a very specific need of a very specific story he was trying to tell with his uh, batch of troopers. But for the most part, there's, you know, there often comes a desire from a writer somewhere to make like this really unique stormtrooper. And it's like, that's not what they are. Um, so we generally push against that. It, that. We find that happens in games a lot. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, can we have a custom unit that looks like this? It's like, well, that's not thematically what they are, you know. Um, you could have a different one, but make sure there's a thousand of them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. yeah, there's no reason for the Empire to spend money. They don't care. So why make custom armor for everybody right. when you can just mass market a bunch of crappy armor and <laughs> let them get shot? You can replace them. Um, one thing I've always loved about the Clone Wars is even though it got really dark and really serious and really dramatic, it also had all these hilarious moments and a ton of references to other movies, pop culture, um, kind of homages. And I wondered what you guys' like, favorite homage to an earlier movie or a certain like genre in Star Wars was, the Clone Wars. I really loved... Um I mean, all the homages I loved the most are, like, the movies behind, uh, like, not Star Wars movies per se, but, like, other movies. Like, one of my favorite episodes is uh, called Senate Spy, and it's basically Anakin and Padme as Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman from Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. Like, beat for beat, all the way to the end where she's been poisoned and he carries her out. Like, it's perfect. That's the kind of stuff I love the most. Yeah, uh, Clone Wars did the audacious thing of taking... Um, Seven Samurai, which is not a short movie, by the way, and compressing it into 22 minutes and turning it into a Clone Wars episode, which was crazy and it worked. I was also going to say the Seven Samurai episode, but since you already did, I'm going to have to go with the Zillow Beast. (laughs) I've actually never been a Godzilla fan, so that was kind of like my entryway into Godzilla, was watching the Zillow Beast and being like, maybe I do want to watch full movies about this giant thing that wrecks cities. (laughs) I can't think of any off the top of my head, but we went episode by episode of the Clone Wars, and Brian pointed out, you know, at least forty old movies from the forties and fifties and sixties that the episodes were based off of. So there's a lot. Amy, yeah, Christine? I'm not lacking in my film history knowledge, but I did like the ties. Um, I talked to Dave about this once uh, about the the Knight Sisters as they relate to like the Benny Gesserit in Dune. I thought there were some cool influences there, and I, I like that there were some, some common, common traits between those groups. 
Um, I'm one of those people who, is, if you say, what's your favorite anything, I just go all deer in the headlights, so I'm a terrible person to ask that. But when you're speaking of humor, the first thing that popped into my mind was there's a, a little bit in one of the scripts uh, in, in Dark Disciple where um, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan are trying to sneak in, and they've um, programmed the robots to go ahead, and they're speaking through them, and Anakin just keeps going, going, Roger, Roger. And he's completely <laughs> having a ball, and it's driving... <laughs> Kenobi absolutely crazy and it's just it's a delightful little bit in the middle of this very tense scene you know that's totally true to to the both characters thank you um so earlier you were talking about Asaz Ventress and and her getting kicked out well eventually she in turn spot um brings in Savage Press, who in turn brings in Darth Maul how do you feel about um, Savage Press and Darth Maul coming in? Because we know Darth Maul was like sliced in half and fell down a shaft. Remember how I said only George would be crazy enough to do some of the Force episodes? Yeah, only he would be crazy enough to bring Darth Maul back. Like none of no, no one but George would think about pitching that because it's like, well, George, you're the one who killed him. <laughs> but. Then, like, what we didn't know, and this is, you know, his, his, his insane genius, what we didn't know was that he was the son of the most powerful witch in the galaxy, right? So we find out that there's all sorts of, of crazy backstory that we never knew about Maul that comes out in the, in the course of the storytelling. I loved it. I was so invested. And I, when I saw the trailer for the season two, the mid-season trailer for Rebel season two... And he kind of turns to the camera and says, call me old master. I about lost, like, every tear in my body. Yeah, no, I loved it, too. I, I think the character of Darth Maul in Phantom Menace, like, he's cool. He certainly looks awesome, but there's not that much to him. Like, he's just kind of, you know, a lapdog. But what they did with him in Clone Wars added so much more depth to that character that I am way more, in, more interested and personally invested in Maul than I ever was from Phantom Menace. Yeah, earlier this morning we talked about Maul and I about lost my mind because I, I love Darth Maul and I love what they did with him in the Clone Wars. Um, Savage Press has become a really amazing character to me and I've gone back and watched those episodes uh, countless numbers of times and it's tragic what happens to Savage Press. He starts out as a normal guy. He gets created into a monster and I don't want to do any spoilers, but what happens to him is tragic and sad. Yeah. Yeah. Savage is like this big abused dog. Yeah. You know, like he can't help what be- became of him. And it's like, you just feel bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad and tragic. And, and I, but it's, it's great to watch. It's, it's great storytelling. Yeah. On a fun side note, I actually have a Savage Press alarm clock Lego. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, I like that we saw, um, like, like Matt said, what we saw, we saw that Maul was, he was cool in Phantom Medicine, very capable physically, but to, to be Sidious, for Sidious to choose him as an apprentice, you know there has to be more to him than being able to look really cool in a cape and, and spin around a lightsaber really effectively. So I like that Clone Wars showed us how intelligent, like, I feel like we really got to see his cunning. Manipulating. And how manipulative he could be and how much he actually maybe learned from Sidious in the time he was with him. And I, I liked, I liked seeing how he took care of his, his brother. His brother, you know, he tried to take care of Savage. It didn't, but I, I thought it was an interesting twist for the character. Even though, and I love one of my favorite things 
for people who haven't seen Clone Wars, I like to play evangelist sometimes, but they'll, they'll talk about Darth Maul. It's like, oh, he was just, he was so cool in Phantom Menace. It's just such a pity he's gone. I'm like, oh, but he, you don't even know. Like, let, <laughs> yes. me, let me make you a list of episodes of Clone Wars to watch. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. That whole storyline was just so twisted and um, sad. And it, it just, it, you know, Ventress kind of kicks it all off because she's been, uh, you know, destroyed and, and emotionally manipulated. And it's just this little ripple effect and things just keep getting more twisted and unkind and cruel. And uh, I think it's a, a really good example of what the dark side can do to you. Mm. So thank you for your question. Um, uh, Some of the more impactful episodes of the Clone Wars for me were uh, mainly the ones focusing around solely on the clones and and their combat and stuff like that, particularly the Umbara campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, and those stories are like, they're they're good war stories, you know. So so what I was wondering if, you know, since we've seen Rogue One get so much support by focusing more on the wars aspect of Star Wars, do you think it would be successful if there was... uh, maybe a live-action war movie focusing on the Clone Wars. Like, do you think that would be a good way of not only just like calling more attention to an era that's been, for the most part, ignored a lot lately, and also being just a good movie itself? I know you say lately, but we can't forget that this went on for six years, you know? There's a lot of storytelling that we did in that era, and, you know, to, to do a live-action movie on it, if the story there existed, we, we definitely would entertain it but like because that's where we always start from like what's the story but just to shine additional light on an era it's like that that's generally not a starting point for a storytelling uh for us anyway uh but that said like uh, war has always been a component in star wars uh <laughs> rogue one dials it up more than like we, we like I, I like to imagine it as um you know a, it's a recipe and it turns out that the Rogue One movie has more portions of war in its recipe than the other Star Wars uh, movies do. Could we revisit the clones in some other storytelling? Absolutely. Every area of Star Wars history is open to us, but as, as to what format and where, you know, we'll have to see. Well, in a way, they are getting revisited in, in Rebels. Oh, like, totally. Totally. Yeah. You've got uh, Gregor and Rex and Wolf. We brought them back in season two. Rex is still around, and you haven't seen the last of... Uh, all those guys yet. Thank you for your question. We've got about six, six minutes left or so, so we'll try to speed through the questions. This is a, might be a pretty quick question, though. Uh, recently, Netflix announced they were doing Flix tapes, and the first thing I thought of was uh, the story arcs for different characters being put compiled. Have you worked with them or thought about I, I haven't that? even heard about this. What, no, what I haven't. I don't. They just, it's just a... You can submit uh, episodes or TV. So it's a way to, of, of collating the content yeah. so you could look. Like just give me all the Anakin episodes, give me all the Ahsoka episodes uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah. So, That's a great be idea. Rad. I, would be, I would be so excited to, to <laughs> do that. So in the meantime, there's a, there's a technology-free solution where one of my columns for StarWars.com <laughs> is called The Playlist. And so I curate playlists of some of these stories. So there was one that's like, here's everything you need to watch or read about Darth Maul, and here's everything about Tarkin and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so I'm curating a lot of that stuff right now for StarWars.com. I'd love to make it easier for people. Mm-hmm. So that'd be awesome. Thanks for the tip. Thanks for the heads up, yeah. Hi, so 
Um, in Clone Wars, we see a lot of camaraderie with the clones with each other. They, we can tell that they feel uh, when you know a, a commander gets hit, they they remorseful. Do you guys think personally that when Order sixty six was declared, there were some clones that were like, "Hey, what are we doing? Like, we we fought with these guys for years, and now we're shooting them." Or do you think it was just like a switch? Like, that's it, we're so, done. So, my understanding is that once. It was activated, it was a switch, and they did what they were supposed to do. Like, before we saw that episode, I thought, what are they doing? Why, why are they, they're just taking orders, they're just doing what they're told, and how can they do that? He was just handing Obi-Wan his lightsaber, like, how could they do that just by taking orders? But once we see the episode of the Clone Wars where you understand it's a chip, and they just, that's what affected them, then I understood it better. Is that, is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, I think uh, it is. You, it, Cody is our kind of test on that. Like, Cody was so good friends with Obi-Wan. The fact that he did it makes me think that it was pretty much a switch. And I, I hate to say it, but I imagine there were a lot of clones up late that night at the bar yeah. that just coming to terms with what it is what they did and trying to convince themselves, well, they're traitors. Turns out they were traitors. And I'm going to give you a little hint on something. The bar that Fives goes to, um, what's it called, 71s or 76s or something? Yeah. That bar was going to feature in the live-action TV series as a place where clones went to forget, <laughs> which is kind of uh, sad. But <laughs> there's, there's actually a little bit of storytelling in the Kanan comic books yeah. that kind of explores that, too, that, that would be cool to check out. Oh, cool. Yeah, Thank since you. all the clones were so individual, like, you have to imagine that while they all probably believe they did the right thing because they were programmed to, they, I'm sure they all dealt with it in different ways. Yeah. All right, thank you. Yeah, but for a long time, I just couldn't understand how they could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so on YouTube, I've been seeing a lot of people saying in Star Wars, in Rebels, uh, they're going to bring back Mace Windu. He's going to have a series car. And I was going to ask if that was true or false, like... If they're just lying and they're editing the photo? <laughs> uh, what do you think? Do you think, uh, do you think Mace Windu survived? In my personal opinion, yes. Really? Uh, Big Windu fan? Yes. Well, then hold on to that, I guess. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't see a body. I didn't see Maul's body either. Yeah. yeah. So my question is aimed at Christy. Christy, I've read a bunch of your books. They're fantastic, by the way. Thank Love you. the uh, Fate of the Jedi series. Um, now, where Disney took a whole Jason Solo approach and changed the flow of the Force and went all <laughs> back to the future and changed everything, D- did you guys get any input on the new movie series where they're coming out with the, the new stuff with the old Luke Skywalker? Um, or did you are you kind of going back into the past and saying, okay, we're just going to deal with the Clone Wars era stuff and not go deep into the future where you were? Um, this project uh, came to me, um, as many of you know, I had uh, a trilogy lined up, uh, Fate of the Jedi, and um, honestly, I knew that it would be nigh impossible to continue with the expanded universe. There's just so much there, and it would be impossible to expect all these other people to get up to speed on it in such a short time. Um, so this came my way, and uh, it simply was the right time for that project because they were done with the Clone Wars, and they really liked these these uh, storylines, these scripts, and they really wanted to get it out to people. And I just feel very lucky that I was the one picked to do it because it was a terrifically fun project. So my question's about Ahsoka in particular. So I know, obviously, in Rebels, they're expanding how she's 
working with the rebels and such, but do there is there ever going to be a time where they're going to show, like, give more insight as to what specifically she was doing after she left the Jedi Order and her training and all that? I know she this was. answer. Boy, There's yeah. a book coming out on October 11th <laughs> called Ahsoka. Yes. <laughs> no way. Yes. And it's so. good. It's a great book. E.K. Johnson wrote it. It's called Star Wars Ahsoka. She's actually at this convention. Um, she won't tell you a thing about it. <laughs> but it's great, and it's coming out in two short months. So I met her today. She's cool. Yeah. Oh, She's here. So that's it for our panel. We're out of time. Thank you all very much. Thank you, everyone. So yeah, I, I did. I had a really, I had a really good time, and um, I remember uh, texting the girls like right after this. It was a, uh, it was a good time, and I, I just, I loved uh, the the crowd interaction. Everybody really uh, was very interested in what we were talking about, and they had a lot of, they had a lot of input, and the, I mean a yeah. lot of a lot of uh, questions, and it seemed to, it seemed to be a big hit. Yeah, no, people liked it. I, I think that there were a lot of people in there, too, that were curious about Clone Wars uh, and maybe didn't know. I think we convinced some people to watch Clone Wars while we were in there, too. Yeah, I think so. there were some that were just like, maybe I don't want to watch it, but maybe I want to know how it's changed Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I think some people came in just to find out, and they uh, they left interested. So, uh, that being said, um, we have some uh, a couple more specials coming up this week, and uh, what are those going to be, Brian? We still have uh, The Life and Times of Han Solo, The Balance of the Force, and another panel on bullying and gatekeeping and fandom. Okay, cool. Well, that's it for this episode. Brian, you can find you where? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Swankmotron. Uh, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Swankmotron. You can find me on Instagram at Swankmotron. Um, basically, if you look up Swankmotron, you're going to find me. Uh, or you can find my books at brianyoungfiction.com, or you can just type my name into Amazon and buy my books there. Uh, and you can also find my columns every Monday on starwars.com and occasionally in Star Wars Insider. If you want to leave a voicemail for the show, you can use the SpeakPipe app on the website, which is fullofsith.com. There you can find our Twitter addresses at fullofsith, at the mic, at swankmotron, at amy underscore geek. You can go to facebook.com slash fullofsith and check out all the stuff we post there, like show notes and the show art and all kinds of different conversations that are going on. And there's been some great emails uh, in the last week and a half, Brian. I got to forward those to you and Amy when we come back for uh, a full show. Um, we'll get to some of those emails as well. They're really, really good. Holocron at fullsith.com and then iTunes, Stitcher, the uh, Google Play Store. If you haven't left a review for us yet, please do so. And if you're looking for me, themike.com. You can find my stuffs there. For my co-host, Brian Young, and for this special episode of Full of Sith, I am the Mike Pilot. May the Force be with you, always. If you'll not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.